This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Wednesday, May 31st, and that's it for May. Mainly sunny today, a high of 30 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the number of deaths now linked to a Mississauga chemical provider is 21. Number two, the Blue Jays pitcher has apologized to the, quote, pride community. Number three, mayoral debate tonight as the race begins to tighten. Number four, a teacher is disciplined for blackface. And number five, an artificial intelligence expert says robots are going to kill us all. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, there's a spirited start to your Wednesday morning. 508. Look at that. It's the 31st of May. How did we get through this month? And what a crazy month it's been from a pollen count that I think is possibly higher than it's been in years. I mean, at one point, I got into the car one day a couple of weeks ago, and there was this green film on the windshield. And if you're an allergy sufferer, as I am, it's probably been a bit of a tough month. I know, Nick Mayorano, you have asthma and other things that uh, have probably been aggravated by all of the pollen out there. Yeah, there are many issues that I have, but that's a different story. But uh, yeah, I had a little bit of a, I don't say an attack, but the asthma acted up in the past few days. And being down in the hot, humid weather of Florida, I'll blame the Floridians. All right. Well, we can blame Florida for so many things. I love Seth Meyers actually has uh, an entire segment called Because Florida. But it really does... If memory serves, the way that segment works is he reads out a strange news story and then he says, did it happen in Florida? And like 90% of the time it did because just it's a crazy, crazy place. Well, it is. And in one of the features of uh, Totally Useless Information is I, it's news from around the world and 90% of the stories come from Florida. Yeah. So. Okay. So, and then without, you know, getting too deep into a recap of the month of May, we had aberrantly cool temperatures for a while, and now we're into aberrantly warm temperatures. And you will never hear me complain about hot temperatures. Even in the midst of summer, when it's like 35 degrees by day, I am not going to complain because my vision of hell is that it's cold, not hot. So, Uh, There's going to be a mayor's debate tonight, not a surprise perhaps, but we're sort of closing in on what I think are the key debates because you can take a pass on the debate here or there and people may not notice. But now that we are a month away from Election Day, less than a month away from Election Day, now that Olivia Chow seems to be consolidating her lead, now that Anthony Fury appears to be surging into a category of candidate that is, I'm choosing my words carefully, I always do, um, more significant perhaps. Because some candidates get talked about and then you look at the numbers and think, I don't even know why this person is considered to be in the top tier. But then also there are 102 people running for mayor and there are a whole bunch of them who are not particularly significant, but you get into somebody like Anthony Fury and, you know, Our former boss here, Mike Ben Dixon, has been providing him with advice and counsel. I don't think he's on the payroll, but it's worked. And I guess that's because Mike understands media. He knows how to get his candidate attention. And also, Anthony Fury is a a fairly compelling figure. It's not my politics, but Anthony Fury, when he popped in for what I call the intake interview... All the major candidates dropped into the studio for a conversation. 
and listeners were very, very pleased to hear what he had to say. He's a plain-talking guy, and the day that he was here launching his career, you know, amongst other things, he said, I think the time frame was 90 days. He said he would arrive in office, he would review everything the city does, and then he would make some radical decisions about what stays and what goes, which, you know, I think is basically what any mayor should do. But as we learned back with the KPMG review that was done by the Ford administration, they came up with a whole list of things that, you know, you looked at the paper and thought that should not continue. That service is, is a luxury. But they were grandfathered services from before amalgamation. And once you got into, well, we're going to remove this one, a city councilor would stand up for the relevant neighborhood and say, you can't, you must absolutely not. Okay, well, we'll keep that one. And on and on it went until we barely eliminated anything from the roster. And yeah, maybe that's what it takes is some bold leadership. Um, very quickly, since I mentioned Anthony Fury, he's drawing a lot of attention because he called a press conference yesterday and talked about how drug addicts in Toronto are getting taxpayer-funded crack pipes. That is information which is actually available on the city website. So when he credited it to a whistleblower, I thought, uh, maybe not so much. Taxpayers would be alarmed to hear just what's really going on with the drug culture being pushed by City Hall. Not only are there plans to create more injection sites throughout the city, but a whistleblower has provided me with City of Toronto branded crystal meth pipe kits and crack pipes. So your tax dollars, ladies and gentlemen, are going towards creating crystal meth and crack pipe kits. Okay. Now, uh, it's a subtle point, but the, uh, it's, you know, the wrapping for the hardware is, you know, has the city of Toronto, uh, credit on it. Um, it's not actually, you know, it's not like you're getting some sort of a souvenir crack pipe with an etched logo in the glass. Um, another aspect of all of this would be every, you know, not everybody, you know, Anthony Fury is absolutely right. There are people finding out about this for the first time, but this is a well-known and well-established program. And the last note on it would be that it's paid for by the province. So this is not a bunch of whack job Toronto, uh, addict huggers. This is about, you know, provincial health policy and the city deciding that it's called harm reduction and you're either for it or against it. And I get it. If you're against it, I'm, you know, you can make your arguments. They're perfectly reasonable. It's not about whether or not people, um, you know, have any degree of compassion for somebody on drugs. But the idea of harm reduction has always been there are people out there who are going to do drugs. So do you find a way to prevent them from getting uh, all kinds of possibly fatal infections and diseases? Or do you just leave them to their own devices and eventually they will get sick and die? You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right, we're having a totally 80s moment here. Because there was a commercial in the last stop set that pulled on Men Without Hats. And Ivan, the guy behind Men Without Hats, must be absolutely delighted. Because, you know, money 40 years after he wrote that silly song and then danced through a farm field in Quebec with little people. Um, the 80s were an unfortunate period uh, in many ways in music, even if they are the soundtrack of my youth. 
So uh, let's take a closer look at some of the stories we just mentioned in the five things you, you need to know. Sometimes something is not necessarily the most important story of the day, but it jumps out in the five things and people go, wait a minute, need to know more. So the teacher blackface story is going to be interesting to unpack because, of course, everyone's going to remember a certain other teacher who did blackface, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. In this case, a Toronto high school teacher who showed up at school in blackface for Halloween says he was actually portraying a zombie, but he's horrified for the hurt he caused. A discipline committee convened yesterday, and Gorian Serlan, who uh, was a teacher at Parkdale Collegiate Institute, showed up, as mentioned, on Halloween, dressed all in black, wearing a mask, and then took the mask off and revealed that his face was painted black. But he insists he wasn't trying to do, can we call it official blackface? He was playing a zombie, and he just thought to play a zombie that he would put on some black makeup. Um, but a lawyer representing him said, because he's actually out of the country, he was horrified that he caused hurt to so many people, and he didn't understand the impact of his actions at first. Once he did, he immediately expressed remorse. All this happened in October of 2021, and as mentioned, he's now out of the country. Uh, he got a written reprimand by the college, a one-month suspension, and the requirement that he undergo cultural sensitivity training. Meanwhile, John Woodward doing uh, some fine reporting and tracking people down who had received packages of sodium nitrite from this man in Mississauga. And you know what? I'll follow my usual custom, and I won't use his name. Because I believe, am I lawyering myself enough? Um, he's allegedly a serial killer, basically. And there's an aspect to poisoning, and there has been. I mean, it's one of the reasons why it has featured both in, you know, real-life crime books, but also in historic, historically in fiction, in crime and mystery fiction. There's an aspect to poisoning that is kind of like being an arsonist. You know, in this case, if this case is proven in court, I mean, he would send this product out in the mail and then remotely find out which of his clients had consumed a fatal amount of it and died. And then presumably there was um, a level of excitement or satisfaction in this sort of almost, you know, remote detonation killing of people, allegedly. But John Woodward in his reporting, and we'll hear the full report perhaps in the next half hour, we're still kind of fleshing out the show. Um, but John Woodward tracked down a number of people and they're all over the world. I mean, um, he sent this individual 1,200 packages to over 40 countries. And police have been tracking down where those packages went and then establishing what happened. In some cases, there were suicidal people who didn't follow through. In other cases, there were people who did kill themselves. There's a young guy, a university student named Tom Parfit, who was last seen doing a self-check-in. I didn't know this existed, but I guess so. Self-check-in at a hotel in uh, London, England on October 26th in 2021. 
And then his body was found by cleaning staff two days later, and he was long gone. So it's going to be interesting to see how the prosecution presses this case and whether or not it holds up. Because the individual in question is always going to be able to argue, well, I am just providing a chemical to people who like to cook and preserve their meats. So what's your problem? Um, but I guess what this will hinge on will be establishing whether or not this individual was aware that the people he was selling a potentially fatal product to were soliciting it because they intended to kill themselves. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 537. We're really rocking the music this morning. Did we switch something up? I'm... I, I appreciate we're grooving to the music that I went to high school with, but um, I got, or I didn't get, I, I saw a tweet from Dave Agar, who used to be our morning newsman, and now he runs like a one-man news bureau sharing the stories that he finds, but he's got, as, as he always has, he's got excellent taste may not be the right word, but he's always known a good news story. And one thing he tweeted out, Nick Mayorano, this will come as some small comfort to you, I guess, since you're having some issues. So am I. I'm coughing this morning. And apparently the air quality index is not great today as we begin the day. Um, it's a, I guess in tribute to Spinal Tap, it's a 1 to 10 scale, and then there's one bar above that, so it goes to 11. But today we're at a 4, which is entering into what is regarded as moderate risk. And listen, if you're at risk, you probably already know it already. If you have COPD or if you have allergies or if you have um, asthma, then as we climb this index, things become a little bit more complicated for you. But yeah, we're at a four today, which uh, I think is the first time we've reached a four this particular spring. So we, we have the audio, and I hope the bleep tones have been inserted. This is video where a kid takes out a firework that looks, you know, looks like it's about, uh, it's a tube and it's probably about two and a half inches across in terms of um, diameter and about 12 to 14 inches long. And a kid lights it on a bus. Go, 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 go. And it's just one kid who's holding it, who lights it, and then continues to hold it, and is in all likelihood in absolutely no danger, but everybody in the direction of where this thing starts blowing its, um, you know, basically it's a Roman candle. Uh, those people probably in uh, a, a position of danger. Nobody knows when this was shot or on what bus, but it does appear to be a TTC bus and the TTC confirming that it is investigating the incident. Can't be that hard to figure out when it and where it happened. I don't think a lot of people forgot the day that somebody let off a Roman candle inside of a TTC bus. So I imagine we'll probably probably learn a little bit more today. But also evidence, you know, I'm not one of those people who's, uh, oh, we're all going on the road to Hades. But 
the availability of technology that allows kids to record videos and not just kids, allows people to record videos and to share them easily um, has led to a marked rise in sort of what officially would qualify for the Jackass movie franchise of people doing stupid things and then sharing them. And I think an awful lot of those things, people don't reflect on the consequences before they decide to pull the stunt. But I mean, you could easily end up hurting somebody very, very badly uh, by letting off a firework in an enclosed space or even in an outdoor space. I mean, remember, it was a year ago, Victoria Day, where people were using Roman candles as if they were guns in Af Ashbridge's Bay. And in some cases, aiming them at police officers. That's a really lousy idea. If, if, you, if you're looking for trouble, then it probably doesn't get much worse than firing a firework directly at a working police officer. Speaking of what? Uh, public life, I guess we could say, if we want to frame this. I don't quite know what to make of this survey. It's a new survey conducted by a company called Research Company. And over half of Canadians believe their city or town has experienced an increase in noise levels over the past year. Uh, that's a 5% increase from a poll that was conducted last August. Okay, but what are we talking about here? Because there's only one circumstance. Joe Cristiano and I were talking about this. I said, how could anything get louder? Cars are cars. Um, you know, on my street, the fire truck goes by, but I knew that when I moved in. So what could possibly be getting louder, aside from the fact that post-pandemic, we're getting back to traffic levels, for example, um, that more closely match where things were beforehand. And the only thing I could think of was that more and more people are walking around with speakers and playing music. And I have to say it's a personal beef of mine. One of the things I worry about, actually, is that I'm going to go back to the same place in Cape Cod. I've been going for 25 years this year, and there are going to be all sorts of people with those Bluetooth portable speakers playing music on the beach. And I always wonder why anybody presumes that you go to the beach to look at the ocean and to listen to their taste in music because they happen to be close by. But I've increasingly noticed people on motorcycles, people on bicycles, pedestrians, walking along, um, sometimes with speakers that look like those um, St. Bernard casks. You ever see the St. Bernards in the Alps and they have a cask of uh, whiskey so that if um, you're freezing to death, at the very least, you can have a nice drink because it ain't going to help you. Um, it may make you feel warmer, but it is not actually saving you anything. Um, but yeah, increasingly, I find people are walking around with speakers and playing their own personal music. Uh, but the survey shows more than one in five Canadians have experienced nuisances in their homes, including loud people outside, car alarms, loud music playing inside a vehicle, loud music coming from a nearby home, and the excessive honking of car horns by drivers. So again, take it for what it's worth. Because I look at a survey like this, and of course, if somebody phones you, says, hi, I'm calling from the survey company. Have you heard horn honking? Yes. Have you ever heard loud, loud voices in the street? I have. Uh, the federal government, this is a welcome development. Federal government is planning to offload up to half of the office buildings it owns across the country because they just don't need it anymore. This effort 
to get people to come back to the office in both the public and private sector has largely failed. And so they need less office space. So they're going to offload this stuff. Downside would be that those assets are going to be worth much less because when you're in a market where there's already commercial space or industrial space yawning for rentals or purchase, now all of a sudden you're going to be turning even more square footage over to the market. So I can't imagine they're going to make all that much money. But still, in the long term, they won't have to own it. So uh, a welcome development. We'll see if Preet Banerjee agrees. It is Preet. It is. Excellent. Preet Banerjee is on the, on the morning brief this morning at 620. And we'll find out if people are of a similar analysis as mine uh, when we have the roundtable at 745 and 845. Time to get into what Toronto's talking about right now with News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, let's talk about this. The mayoral hopefuls will face off in another debate, and this time it's co-hosted by the Toronto Star, United Way, and the Toronto Metropolitan University. You're absolutely right. And I think people are starting to sense that maybe the rubber is hitting the road or mm -hmm. whatever expression you want to use, that we're entering into a new and final phase of this election. So the debates become all the more important. Appearing at the debate tonight, NDP, uh, you know, former city councillor, former MP Olivia Chow, uh, Josh Matlow's there, Mark Saunders, the former chief of police, Anna Bailao, Brad Bradford, and also Mitzi Hunter. So it's mm -hmm. actually the usual suspects. A big question, I think, increasingly that is being asked is, whether surging in the polls, Anthony Fury is going to be invited to debates. You know, I talked to him the other day about this, John, and he told me he hadn't been invited yet. I don't know if this is because the surge in the polls happened uh, post the invites going out to that debate or not, but he did tell me that he's been invited to the rest of the debate. So we'll be oh. seeing him, it seems, uh, more throughout the debates here. Uh, in the meantime, John, we've got to move on. This story uh, getting even more disturbing now. 21 deaths now being linked to Kenneth Law's lethal products, the sale of sodium nitride online. Our colleague John Woodward has been doing some uh, fascinating legwork in uh, following along the police files and tracking down where some 1,200 packets of this chemical, which is normally used to treat meat but is fatal when consumed in large doses, where those packages went. And so far, they have been linked to 21 deaths. I'm going to be fascinated to see how prosecutors decide to proceed because the man in question from Mississauga is always going to be able to argue that he sold the product in good faith and thought it was going to be used in food preparation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay, so this next story kind of coincides with you know, the York Catholic District School Board voting in favor not to uh, raise the Pride Progress flag. But Blue Jays pitcher Anthony Bass, uh, yesterday he said he was truly sorry for sharing anti-LGBTQ2S plus video online. He made a brief statement uh, yesterday and said, I recognize I made a post that was hurtful to the Pride community, which includes friends of mine and close family members of mine. I'm truly sorry for that. The ballpark is for everybody. Didn't take any questions. And I think uh, depending on which footage you show, there's a very funny moment where the camera pans over to Hazel Ma and she does not look impressed. <laughs> I didn't see that, but I did hear the apology and I saw some of the reaction to it, John. It's interesting. See, I don't think we heard the last of this. And John, John Schneider, the Jays manager, even acknowledged that, uh, you know, a sort of 25 second apology isn't going to be the end of it. And of mm -hmm. course, the Jays have a lot uh, of uh, events prepared ahead of Pride Month uh, next month. Uh, in the meantime, hate in Ontario is at a linchpin moment. 
This is a fascinating profile, and it goes on, or feature, it goes on for a good long time. It's in the Toronto Star and the Hamilton Spectator, but the work of three different reporters. Effectively, what it boils down to is that there is a rise in right-wing hate in Ontario, partially um, crystallized, perhaps, in the convoy movement. Mm. Uh, but the takeaway also is that there has not been a rise in prosecutions or convictions of people for hate crimes. So it's on the rise, but nothing is being done to tamp it down. Mm. All right, and John, we always end on something uh, a little funny. You're already laughing, and I can tell why. So yesterday we did a story about this translucent boulder. If you want an Indiana Jones experience, you get to sit in it and roll over your friends. But uh, over in the U.K., this chaotic cheese wheel race knocks a Canadian unconscious, but this is his, uh, before she wins it. What an insane sport, mm -hmm. if we can call it that, this is. But it happens quite frequently in the UK. And you take a giant cheese wheel, you roll it down a hill, and then people chase it and try oh to get gosh. it. And the you know the person who can seize it at the last moment gets to keep it and take it home. In this case, it was a 19-year-old Canadian woman named Delaney Irving. She knocked herself out, but somehow managed to recover in time to take the cheese. I think she got a whiff of the cheese, and that's how she was uh, resuscitated somehow. But she had to be Canadian, right? Because, John, her health care is covered. So, there you go. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, that's uh, quite an event, the annual uh, cheese wheel oh race. Gosh. Indeed, always fun to watch those highlights. I could watch that on repeat all day. And you can listen to John Moore all morning between 5 to 10 on Newstalk 10. Right 5 to 9, that right. is, on Newstalk 10, 10. John, good to chat. We'll chat tomorrow. That's Jennifer Sheng and Nick Dixon. And I wish I could remember what show it was, but I know somebody will text me and let me know, somebody who's listening right now. Several years ago, I watched a show that was about the science of how to win one of these cheese chases. And this guy, who is a regular at them and routinely wins, he realized that it was a mistake to run down the hill after the cheese. So he would deliberately throw himself down and then roll as far as he could. Occasionally, he would sort of stand up for a couple of steps and then he'd roll again. But he determined that was the best way to win the cheese. And he was absolutely right. But you know, I, I can't say I admire people who practically break their necks and other things in their body to win a cheese wheel. But I will forever admire passion and people who find ways to make themselves happy and if rolling down a hill and winning a giant wheel of brie um, is your cheese, then, you know, bring it on. One interesting, there's a lot of uh, sort of artisanal debatables today, and we've been putting them on the agenda for the roundtable at 745 and 845. One of them would be that Ottawa is about to up its game when it comes to posting warnings for cigarettes. And what they're going to do, get this, is actually put the warning on every single individual cigarette. So it'll be printed on the cigarette. Don't know exactly what, although one of the things I saw was, just digging into the file here, uh, poison in every puff. That will be one of the things that will be imprinted on individual cigarettes. And this just, uh, this makes us the most warning prone, whatever you want to say. This actually, Canada is the first country to ever consider putting the warning on the actual cigarette. And for those who will argue, because there's a, 
certain libertarian kickback against any kind of initiative like this. You know, and remember, if you roll back the clock to, first of all, there was a time when about 50% of the population smoked and where smoking was supposed to be classy. Audrey Hepburn would smoke a cigarette and that made her classy. Um, you know, all the people in the movies, Betty Davis and uh, Humphrey Bogart, who died of lung cancer. Uh, but right up until the 70s, I think Steve McQueen smoked in movies. It was the classy thing to do. And then somehow the scales began to tip, perhaps because of the number of people who died. But smoking, owing to the fact that there's a certain latency, is still the leading cause of unnatural death in North America. And the reason for that would be, even though we figured it out that smoking was deadly and people started quitting in the 1980s, there are still people now getting cancer because they smoked in the 70s. But again, to, you know, I said roll back the clock. If you go through the many stations of what we have done in order to delegitimize smoking, um, we started by putting warnings on packages. Then we advanced to putting really disgusting pictures on packages. And I get it. There are some waggish people who still walk into a store and say, give me the lung cancer package. But these warnings have clearly worked. That and creating, you know, almost no place where you're allowed to smoke. But remember the pushback that people had. They didn't. And, and the walls in convenience stores. And they said, well, convenience stores are all going to go out of business if you don't let them display those flashy cigarette packages. And we put in the walls with the plastic covers and everybody marched on. Believe it or not, we're now down to about 13% of the population that still smokes. So for those people who, for simple reasons, they don't want government to tell them what to do or how to think, who pushed back against this and argued again and again that it was never going to make a difference, clearly it has, because we've gone from more than 50% of the population actually smoking to we're down to 13%. And as a matter of fact, in, I think it's New Zealand, they actually came up with a law that cut off the, like you, if you were born after this year, you can never legally buy cigarettes. Maybe not such a bad idea. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.